Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Gray, Georgia. Led by Pastor Randy Darnell, FBC Gray seeks to help people of all walks of life find Jesus and give Jesus away. If you are ever in the middle Georgia area, we would love to see you at one of our services. You can learn more about us at fbcgray.org. Now let's join Pastor Randy as we take another look into God's Word. this morning with a little bit of a cold, I think, you know, a little sore throat, a little ear thing going on, and I feel like we're in a race because the longer the morning goes on, the less of a voice that I've got. So we're going to see if I can finish the message and still have a voice. There's the goal. Uh, need a little prayer going on for, uh, for that, would be nice. Uh, you need to open your Bibles. <clears throat> it wasn't this way 20 minutes ago. You need to open your Bibles to Romans uh, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, we're going to finish up the chapter today. We'll back up to 13 in a minute, but we're going to start with 14 and we're going to get, uh, we're going to finish up the end of the chapter. Now, y'all know, I've, I've said it enough that y'all know that, I'm, that, that you don't do Thanksgiving until Halloween is over. You don't do Christmas until Thanksgiving is over and all of that kind of stuff. And I'm a bah humbug kind of guy on it. But, but I caught myself this week singing Christmas songs. So I guess, I mean, I guess I'm stuck, right? And we're not, this is it for Romans. Uh, we won't be going back to Romans until the second week of January uh, is, is when we get back. We'll be in Matthew and we'll be talking about the coming of Jesus and the Christmas story. Except next week is Thanksgiving, which I have reminded y'all about the choir and coming next Sunday and Y'all have been reminded, right? I mean, y'all have heard all that. Do I need to remind you? I don't see any heads going up and down. I guess I need to remind y'all, this coming Tuesday night, you can come to choir practice in the chapel next Sunday, 4.30, whole deal. It's, it's gonna be a big deal. It really is a big deal. We usually have 10 or 12 churches that show up. It's pretty cool. Romans chapter 10, beginning with verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. <clears throat> but I ask, have they not heard? Well, indeed they have for the voice has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the end of the world. But I asked, did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is as bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I like that word, contrary. When I first started studying this, it was like I've, like I've the, the same reaction that I've had several times when I've started in Romans, going, how does this apply to us? I mean, I can teach, I can teach this. There's a lot of good stuff to teach. You could go verse by verse, it's chock full. But when you get out, all you would be is smart. 
And, and, and I don't want us just to be smart. I want us to know what is God speaking to us through this passage. So I sort of pondered on it a little bit. What Paul is doing here, y'all remember he's been, since chapter 9, he's been answering the question of how is God going to deal with the Jews now? Now that we've got salvation by grace through faith, what in the world is he, what in the world is he going to do with the Jews? And what he's doing is he's going through these chapters. He's like every good teacher, whether you're a good Sunday school teacher or, or a small group leader or you're a teacher in school or you're a corporate trainer. It's all the same. You're constantly trying to think, what questions are my people going to ask? What will they misunderstand? What will they not know? How can I best explain this so that they will understand? How can I cut off the questions before the questions are ever asked? And that's what Paul is doing here. And the question that he's dealing with is, sounds like a very specific question. Has God abandoned Israel? Has God abandoned Israel? On the surface, that sounds kind of irrelevant to us. I mean, we're not Israel, we're not Jewish. But when you think about it, there's, there's something deeper to this. Because see, now listen, think. If God who has made all these promises to Israel, if God who has made all these promises to Israel could change his mind and no longer them be his people, even though he's promised they would be, then he could change his mind about you too, couldn't he? See, there is something in this for us. If God is mutable, if God can change, if God can just get disgusted with you to such a point that he says, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. If he could get so disgusted with Israel that they were a contrary people, that he's just, I've had enough. I'm not dealing with you people anymore. I'm going to go over here to this group. Well, if he could do that to them, do that to you too. You know, we say once saved, always saved. Well, maybe not. Maybe we could get God so upset, so aggravated, so agitated that God would turn his back on us too. That's the question that Paul's answering here for us is what has God abandoned Israel? Will God abandon us? You go back, we studied in in prayer meeting on Wednesday night uh, a couple of weeks ago. We studied Stephen's sermon in the book of Acts. We're going through Acts and we did the whole sermon. Wonderful sermon preached by a deacon. He was a deacon. I think our deacons ought to take turns preaching, don't y'all? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, amen. There we go. Uh, that was a, not a deacon that said amen. But he preaches the sermon that's absolutely dynamite, biblical theology, and he starts with Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God made that promise to Abraham, and then he made it to Moses, and then he made it to Joseph, then he made it to David, and then he made it to Solomon. He kept renewing it all of those years, saying that you'll be my people, we're going to make you a great nation. And then Jesus comes. And all of a sudden, hmm, excuse me, that's the uh, cough drop that we're, we're I, I know it's a mess. I'm sorry. At least I'm not blowing my nose. You got that much. Okay, we're good. That's coming. But then Jesus comes and all of a sudden everything falls apart for these guys. 
Because when Jesus comes, all kinds of people are getting saved. Half-breeds are getting saved. They didn't like Samaritans. Samaritans were half Jewish and half something else. They were half-breeds. And all of a sudden, you've got Jesus telling stories where the Samaritan is the good guy. Something's wrong with this picture. You've got, uh, you've got foreigners that are getting saved. You've got um, a woman who had been married more times then she had fingers on one hand that got saved. You have swindlers who get saved. You get drunks who are getting saved. The Bible beginning with the gospel shows over and over and over again, God saving people who are not Israelites. In fact, it even shows that the, the Jews, the Israelites were the one who took Jesus to the cross and, and killed him, crucified him. That's what got Stephen in, prop, in trouble because after he preaches this great sermon, he says, and you people are the very ones that killed Jesus. It's not how to win friends and influence people. He got stoned to death because of it. What does it boil down to to us? Did, did God change his mind? Did God abandon Israel? And if he did abandon Israel, what stops him from abandoning us? If God can change his plan, how can I be sure that I'm still in this plan? If God can change his mind, then how can I be sure that I am still in his will? And that's what it boils down to here. There have been times in my lives, there's times in a lot of people's lives, it may be in your life right now, that God feels like he's just gone dark. You know, I don't hear from him. He doesn't feel like he's close to me. It makes you wonder, did I do something wrong? Am I that bad? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Has God turned his back on me? If God abandoned Israel, that answer could be bad for us, couldn't it? So how does Paul answer that question? What does Paul say to that question when all the evidence seems to be that he's left Israel behind, that he's changed his mind. How does Paul answer? Paul answers the question like this. He says, listen, if God's given up on Israel, if God's given up on you, why is he still sending people to you to tell you the good news? That's essentially what it boils down to. If God, if God has given up on you, then why is he still sending people to tell you that he loves you and that he wants you? Romans 10, we'll start verse 13 again. For everyone, every means what? Every means all. All means what? All means all, right? All. Got it? All. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This makes a real simple argument if you read it backwards. This story has not a whole lot to do with anything, but I, I just it, every time I say this, it reminds me of it, so I'm going to tell it to you so some of y'all can relate to the old guy because you're old guys too. Do y'all remember turntables? I remember turntables. Yeah, vinyl is making a comeback. So some of the younger folks may know what a vinyl record is and what a turntable is. 
But back in the day, I, I was single. I had a real good job. I was making money. I had a, JB, a, a JBL JLF 30 turntable. It was a Shona fine turntable that went with my Kenwood amplifier and my speakers that I can't remember who made them. But, you know, back in the day, the bigger the speaker, the better the speaker. And they were Shonuff Mondo speakers. I had me a stereo system. Now, my turntable was a belt drive turntable, which means you could take the belt off of it. You could put the record on the platter, and then you could take your finger and spin it backwards. Do y'all remember why you would want to spin it backwards? Backmasking is what they called it back in the day. Our brains are so smart, they said, that these rock and roll bands that were going to send us all to hell, I mean, it's going to make us grow our hair long and we're all going to die and go to hell. On these records, they were putting messages backwards on the record and your mind was so smart that in your mind you're playing the song forward and backwards and you're getting it all and so you're hearing the horrible messages and that's how you're learning to follow the devil and that kind of stuff and so I did that you know I got the record and I spun it backwards and uh and mostly you know you hear except one time I was spinning it backwards one time I was spinning it backwards and it did say here's to my sweet satan I just about ran out of the house scared me to death it was a marketing ploy it's what they did because they knew somebody was going to do that. And so the reason I'm telling you that story is because I heard it backwards. And if you read this backwards, it makes more sense. See, there's a reason for telling the story. Read it backwards. Here's what it goes. If someone is sent, then they preach. And when they preach, someone hears. And when someone hears... They believe, and when they believe, they call, and what do we say? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, it works. Do it backwards. When someone is sent, they preach. When they preach, someone hears. When someone hears, they believe. When they believe, they call, and when they call, they are saved because everyone who believes on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, there's some things I want to tell you in here right quick before we go any further. Uh, one of them you know, you know that you know, you know that you know that you know, but I want to tell it to you again. But I just want us to understand this. We've appropriated a word. When, when I say preach, someone preaches, you think about me or you think about another preacher. That's, you know, that's, we preach. This word doesn't mean that. Go back to school, remember a long time ago when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and, and you went to school and the, the history class would teach you about kings and they would tell you that the king had a herald. You remember that word, herald? Vaguely remember that? And what a herald's job was to do was to take, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and other grams, they didn't have television, they didn't have mass communication, they didn't have any way to get the stuff out to everybody, so they would appoint a herald who had the authority of the king, the message of the king, to go to a specific place, to a specific people, at a specific time, to tell them this specific message. That's what the herald's job was. That's what the word preacher actually is. We just stole it from the Greek. It didn't mean preacher. When somebody read the, the word, read that, the Greek word in their tongue, they didn't think, oh, that's a preacher. They thought, oh, that's a herald. So the first point 
is, is we appropriated that word because that's who we are. When we speak for God, we are his herald. We have a specific message. The next word is sent, S-E-N-T, sent. And what that word means is we have an idea, well, I sent him to go to the grocery store. Well, he went to the grocery store, but he may go here, may go there, may go there. This word's very specific. This word means that he was sent by the king to a particular place with a particular message for a particular people in a particular time, that it was a very specific thing to do. And that's what I want us to understand in this text when he talks about someone preaching, someone being sent, God very deliberately picks people to give messages to his people, a specific place, a specific time, a specific message for them, for them. I want you to think about what this means. First and foremost, all of us, are, all of us can be heralds, right? <clears throat> all of us can be heralds. All of us can be preachers. We're all, we all can be given a message by God to give to somebody, right? Do you know how I know? Facebook. Facebook, some of you use Facebook very well. Facebook, there are times that you're just down in the dumps and everything's not right. And you're scrolling through and something pops up that you go, oh, and it reminds you of God and you feel good. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes it's a word that somebody says. I'm not a particular uh, I, don't, I don't say do this all the time, but every now and then when you're just so befuddled you can't stand it anymore, have you ever got your Bible, set it on the table and went, and wherever it fought, fell open is where you read, and son of a gun, if it wasn't what you needed to read that day. I don't say do that every day, that's not the best way to do Bible study, but every now and then, how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens because God because God ordains these things to occur at just the right time, just the right word to remind you of him. And when somebody does that to you and gives you that thing that you needed, when, when somebody does that, how do you feel about that person? Well, you think they have beautiful feet. Y'all wanna see my beautiful feet? Y'all, no. I got, you know, they're size nine and a half double E's. You know, they're a lot better than they were when they were younger. That's, that's, no, it's not talking about beautiful feet here. What it's talking about comes from Isaiah 52, seven. says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. I know for some of you in here, that's good news. You need some peace in your life. You need some peace in your life. You come to church, we're all grins and smiles and giggles and laughs and we all wear our good clothes and we're just all happy and okie dokie. But no, just no. Y'all have done the same thing I've done before. You've driven to church, kids are in the car, you and the wife or you and the husband are yelling at each other, the kids in the backseat are a mess and making all kinds of noise. But the minute, the new commercial, they're gonna re-release, ah, I can't remember, Helen Hunt was in it and some other guy. Y'all remember that series? It's, it's what? 
mad about you. There you go, mad about you. And then in the commercial, they're showing where Helen Hunt and the other guy are coming to the door, the doorbell rings, and they're going, I don't even like you. I wouldn't want to be around you. I can't stand you at all. And they open the door, hi, how are y'all doing? Good to see you. That's what we do in church, but on the inside of our hearts, we need peace. Because we are, some of us, falling apart. We've shed so many tears that we don't know if we can cry anymore. We need some happiness. We need to know that there's an end coming to our trial. I have a little game that I play with myself that I have to go on the calendar every now and then and put on my calendar a couple of days off that everybody in the church could drop dead and I will not show up at your funeral on those two days. You could all line up and be getting married and I would not come to your weddings. I gotta be away. I gotta be away. So I've got to know there's an end coming to this, that there'll be some rest. And I know some of you are living in situations right now that you think, will there ever be an end to this? And beautiful are the feet of the person that comes to you and says, yes, there's going to be an end. This isn't forever. That God is in charge. You're going to be okay. See, when you're crumbling inside and and someone says just the right thing at just the right time, you're grateful. That's what that beautiful feet thing means. It just means that you're grateful for that person. How beautiful are the feet of the person that tells me good news. I am so grateful. And the thing that we need to remind ourselves of, that we need to remember, is that when those things happen, that realize it's bigger than your friend, your spouse, your parent, your child, whoever brought you the good news. Remember the old song that we used to sing. We still sing every now and then that I can't sing right now. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Well, if all means all, when you say just the right word at just the right time, that means that he sent that, didn't he? That's what Paul's saying. How can you say, how can you say that God's turned his back on you when God keeps saying things like this? I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says that five times in the Bible, four times in the Old Testament, one time in the New. I'll never leave you or I'll forsake you. Paul said, God hasn't abandoned Jews. God's not abandoning you either. God's never going to abandon us. He sends people to tell us the good news so we will believe and call on his name and we'll be saved. And this is what, if, if I could, if God would give me the words to get this, to just hit everybody that hears it. When you are saved, the power of God is unleashed in your life that minute. It's not for you to go to heaven when you die. You've heard me say it a billion times. It is unleashed in your life in that minute forever. You've got the power of God. The cross is more than just something that we look back on. It was an event that occurred and my sins were washed away. That's the event where God's power was unleashed in my life. Maybe it's been a long time since you've sensed that. Maybe it's been a long time since you called on his name. 
Maybe you're embarrassed because it's been so long. Maybe you've done things that are so bad in your mind or that you're so embarrassed about or you're so ashamed of that you think there's, there's no way home. Well, let me summarize for you verses 17 through 21. God says, listen, I know they heard. I told them, I know they've heard the message. He says, I know they understand the message. I'm, I do pretty good at explaining. I know they see that other people are saved. But all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long, I'm holding my hands out to you. The, that comes from Isaiah 65 too, that says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Does that sound like you? Does it sound like you? Are you, are you walking in a way that's not good? That you're, you're walking in your own devices, you're gonna do it your own way. He's saying all day long, I've held out my hands to you. To you that thinks you're so far away that there's no way home. I'm holding my hands out to you. Listen, you might try to give up on God. Paul's very pointed to let us know God's not giving up on you. He's going to keep on and he's going to keep on and he's going to keep on no matter how far you think you've fallen. Y'all remember Martin Luther? Not Martin Luther King Jr., but Martin Luther. He was the founder. He's the guy that started the Protestant Reformation. It's a funny thing that when you think about Luther, when, you, when I think about all the greats of the faith, when I think of great preachers nowadays, you know, you, you, you think that they do no wrong, that life is good, that they've got it all together, that, that they've always had it together. Everybody, you know, they, they just knew God from the beginning. And then I find out the story of Luther, and that's not quite that way. Luther, uh, his dad was a miner, M-I-N-E-R, was a miner in Germany. And he was like a good dad, any good dad, good mom, good dad, good parents, good grandparents, who's ever raising you, they want you to have more than what they had. It's just what you want to do, right? You always want your kids to do better than what you do. Well, Luther's dad was no different. Luther's dad wanted Luther to be more than him. He recognized that Luther, <clears throat> y'all excuse me, that Luther was a, was a pretty smart kid. And so he decided, dad decided, that Luther ought to be a lawyer. And so he does everything he can. He scrapes, he simps, uh, scrapes, he scra saves. He just saves money. Just forget it. He just gets money together. And finally, he sends Luther to college, to the university, to be a lawyer. And Luther took all the lawyer classes. And Luther was very, very good at all of the lawyer, all the lawyer classes. He got the major. He was very, very smart. But Luther had a problem. Luther was a very frightened young man, afraid of his own shadow, kind of frightened. One day, there was a... He, he was, don't, don't skip this, this is important. He, he had, quote, he was driven by fears of hell and God's wrath. He thought God was out to get him. That any minute, he was gonna do the right thing. God was gonna zap him. One day they had a particularly bad thunderstorm. Thunderstorms, I love thunderstorms. I sit there, I listen to the thunder crash, lightning flash, wind blow, rain, all that kind of stuff. Luther is terrified. The storm is so bad that he cries out to St. Anne. Now, he's a Catholic, 
Saint Anne is the patron saint of minors, which is daddy's a minor. So he cries out to Saint Anne and he says, if you will save me, I will become a monk. Now, I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I bet you, bet you, bet you, bet you, bet you that if I were to ask the question, have you ever gotten in trouble in your life and said, Lord, if you will get me out of this mess, I promise I will maybe be a preacher. I don't know. I promise I will. If I ask you to raise your hand, I bet half of you in here would raise your hand. You made that kind of promise. I promise, Lord. Well, Luther said that, except his promise was real. He said that if you'll get me through this storm, I'll become a monk. And so he made it through the storm. So he became a monk. And he went and told his daddy that he was going to be a monk. And it didn't go good. It didn't go good at all because he daddy wanted his son to be a lawyer, make money comfortable, take care of me in my old age. Instead, you're going to be a monk. You're going to wear scratchy clothes and you're going to chant and live in cold places. And that's not what I had picked out for you to do, son. So Luther goes to monk school, whatever you do to become a monk. And he lives in a monastery and he does all the monk stuff. And God's no closer to him than he's ever been ever. He still feels as frightened. He still feels as dejected and despondent as he ever had until one day he was reading his Bible. Guess where he was reading? Guess where he was reading? Romans. How about that? Which chapter was he? Excuse me? Yes. He was reading chapter 10 of the book of Romans. And when he read that, he heard these words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he heard for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What did we say if you did it backwards, how that would work? If someone is sent, they preach. When they preach, someone hears. When someone hears, they believe. When they believe, they call. When they call, they're saved. Well, Luther heard the word in the Bible. He believed. He called and he was saved and he was really saved I mean he showed enough saved he won't tell everybody the good news that you are saved by grace through faith that it didn't have anything to do with being a part of the church or a priest or anything in the whole wide world I am saved because I turned to Jesus and said I need a savior and Jesus saved me he started telling everybody about this he started arguing about what the text said he posted his 95 theses up on the Wittenberg Chapel wall he did all this stuff to tell people to talk to get this conversation started the church didn't like that Churches ain't changed a whole lot because power likes to keep power and the church was powerful and could do whatever it wanted to and make the people do whatever it wanted to and keep them living in fear so the money would keep flowing in. And and the religious leaders didn't like that at all. So this is how J.D. Greer tells the rest of the story. He says, religious leaders of his day felt threatened by his discovery. They wanted the church to control salvation. If they controlled salvation, they could control people. So they demanded that he take back what he wrote. One of the religious leaders, name was Cardinal Coyotin, threatened to throw Luther in prison and even burn him at the stake. Now listen, threatened to throw him in prison and burn him, or, and burn him at the stake if he would not recant his teaching that salvation comes by grace through faith. 
They put Luther on trial. And at the trial, Cardinal Cayatin told Luther that you can walk free if you'll say just one word. Just one word. It's a Latin word if you'll just say one word. Revoco. If you'll say revoco. Revoco means I recant. I was wrong. I recant. Luther responded, this much I know. I would be the most beloved person in the empire if I just say the simple word revoco. But how can I deny the power through which I have been made a Christian? Later, Luther went on to write a song that we sing every now and then called A Mighty Fortress is Our God. In it, there's a a, a, a stanza that says, and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Fail, F-E-L-L, knock him down, take him to the ground. One little word. And I wonder if when Luther wrote this, if he had the trial in mind. One little word will free you, just say, revoco. And instead he turned to him and he said one little word, credo, I believe. Can you imagine that moment? Saying, if you'll just say revoco, you can walk free. And instead he stands up, holds his head up high, and he says, credo, I believe, I believe. Luther knew something that we often forget, that, that when we utter that one little word of faith, that's all it takes One sincere word of faith. I believe that it connects us to the power that that left a tomb empty. Saying I believe, staking your life on Jesus washes away your guilt and your shame of your past and makes you right with God forever. Saying I believe unleashes the power of the cross into your family, into your parenting, into your marriage, into your job. One of the things that... That, that, that bothers me when we do parent seminars and marriage seminars and family seminars. All of those things are good. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't do them. We should do them. I agree. But it has to start with I believe. It has to start with I believe. Otherwise, it's just psychology trying to change your behavior. And you can't change your behavior, can't sustain it forever. You have to have the power of the cross that changes your heart, that gets rid of your old nature and makes Christ live in you. Saying I believe brings hope to your trials. It gives you strength to be the man or the woman that God designed you to be. When you're not sure, saying I believe reminds you that God holds you and will never let you go. Saying I believe calms the storm that's around you. Saying I believe will give you the wisdom you need to make right decisions. Saying I believe will bring you freedom from addiction, freedom from the voices that condemn you. It says I believe says reminds you that you're not a failure and that you're never alone. Saying I believe unleashes the power of God into your life. One little word will fail him.
credo. I believe. I believe. Y'all bow your heads. I know, I know how hard life is. I know many of you are going through some very dark and difficult times right now. Please know that God has not abandoned you and he never will. When you say, I believe, that one little phrase changes the course of your life. You will never be alone. You have tapped into God's wisdom. His spirit will guide you. He will always, always lead you to Jesus, always. If you've never placed all of your trust, all of your hopes and dreams in Jesus, you can do that right now. This minute you can say a prayer that goes something like this. Father, I am that disobedient and contrary person. I've gone my own way and I shouldn't have. Forgive me for my sins. I believe in Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins and that you raised him back to life for me. I trust you to save me and I will trust you as best as I know how for the rest of my life, but I know that it's not up to me anymore. I believe that you will hold on to me forever and ever. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the many people in this room that would stand up and say, Credo, that would stand up and say, I believe. That in the force of whatever darkness might come at us, we stand and say, I believe. I pray, Father, you make us even stronger. We do live in a pagan, pagan world. We live in a place that, that not only doesn't believe in you, but many, Lord, actively seek to destroy you. Make us strong. Make us people that will say we believe in the face of whatever evil might come our way because we know that you created us and that you love us and that if we believe, you will save us. And we don't live here anymore. We live in eternity with you. Father, I pray for those in this congregation that prayed that prayer a moment ago. Help them know that they're saved. Give them the courage to take the next step. Father, please give us the courage to take the next step. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode from FBC Gray. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single message. For more information about First Baptist Gray, visit us online at fbcgray.org. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue helping people find Jesus, 
and give Jesus away. Thank you.